I was going to throw in a little funny anecdote here that, for the open, but okay. literally nothing has happened to me in the last six weeks. I've just <laughs> been stuck at fucking home. Wait, actually, no, one of the kids yesterday shit himself because he couldn't be bothered getting out of bed. Literally <laughs> just laid in bed and shit himself. Fucking animals. Oh, no. You're I'm rubbing off on him already, Brad. <laughs> Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast, Brad is a Bad Person. My name is Morgan. I am the host of this podcast and my code name is Agent 47. I'm joined as always by Lachlan. Hola. AKA Agent 99 and by Brad. Hello. Who has the alias Agent Cody Banks. <laughs> Today we're talking about assassinations. Clearly the most prestigious. Only a very few people are prominent enough <laughs> for the slaying to be elevated to the status of assassination. If you're uh, a regular average dude, you know, for example, Brad Means, average underscore dude at hotmail.com. If he's killed by his <laughs> wife for signing up to Ashley Madison, then that's just your regular good old-fashioned murder. But if the motherfucking leader of the free world, US President John F. Kennedy, is quickscoped by a noob gamer, then that is an assassination. It's embarrassing to be murdered. It's an honour to be assassinated. <laughs> I can only hope that when I inevitably get killed, the headline does not read podcaster murdered while jogging but rather podcaster assassinated by the clintons his name was seth rich <laughs> how are we today guys got a good juicy assassination story to tell yes, i'm good that was good i like that you got me you got me in a good mood yeah um i good was intro. actually thinking about what the distinction between an assassination and a murder was so i'm glad that you've cleared that up yeah i think it's really just the person yeah it really is yeah, it's just a prominence thing. It's like, how important are they? How uh, much does this affect the world mm. if they're murdered? Yes, but before we get started today, I want to remind everybody to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave us a nice review on iTunes, we'll give you a shout out during the show to say thank you. If you want to get in contact with us and suggest an episode idea or just say hi, please do. We always love interacting with our fans. You can do that on any of our social media or through our website, bradisabadperson.com. If you really, really like us, then you can buy us a beer, paypal.me slash bradisabadperson. But otherwise, the best thing you can do to support the show is to tell a friend to listen. That's right. Lachlan, do you want to get this party started by cracking open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. So this week, uh, it's no theme or anything. Um, I'm like, I'm not clever enough to have come up with something matching the topic. But uh, I've got a Sapporo premium beer uh, imported from Japan. Uh, no, it's not actually Samurai Assassin's favorite Shit. drink. It's made in Vietnam, according to the label on the back. Uh, but it is a Japanese Ooh, beer. Dodgy. Uh, now, what I like about Sapporo is the can. First of all, it's a big can. It's 650 mils. Um, but they're they're not aluminium. They're steel cans. Really? So they're Ooh. very like they you can't like crush them. And that's a just, high end. It, that, that's right. It just feels premium. <laughs> yeah, it's premium beer in a premium can, <laughs> which I like. And it is five percent as well, which um, is a is is you know higher than standard. Anyway, uh, let's give it a go. Ooh, oh, it's hard steel. to open. Yeah. Hard to open because of the mm. steel. That's good. Ah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Japanese know what they're doing. Good beer. <laughs> right. Uh, well, as you can guess, we're going to each tell a story of an assassination. Well, you don't know it's that. Gonna be a, 
It's going to be a really fun, uh, exciting episode. Um, my one is just a st- stock standard average sort of assassination. So I'm happy to open the floor to anyone who wants to go, or I'm happy to go. Hey, go for it. Yeah, go for it. All right. Mahmoud al-Mabou was a Hamas leader who was on Israel's <laughs> most wanted list because he was a Hamas leader. Makes sense. <laughs> Straightforward, yeah. More specifically, though, he and another Hamas member kidnapped and killed two Israeli soldiers in 1989, and he also had this bad habit of buying weapons from Iran. Mm. He was also wanted by the Egyptian and Jordanian governments. Al-Mabou was proud of those two murders in 1989. He described one of them on Al Jazeera television. He and another Hamas member were disguised as religious Jews wearing yarmulkes. They offered an Israeli soldier a ride, and Mabu's partner shot the soldier while he was sitting in the back seat. Oh, that's rude. El Mabu said the only thing he regretted about the killing was that he was driving at the time, so he wasn't the one who got to shoot the soldier <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Charming guy. Hang on, quick sidebar. Quick sidebar. Yeah? I thought that Muslims burst into flames if they put on yarmulkes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not true? <laughs> He was probably worried about that. Um, <laughs> he had a he had a sheet of aluminium foil between his head and the yarmulke, so it didn't make actual contact. <laughs> Israel tried to arrest him at the time, but were unable to do so. However, from Nazis hiding in South America to the terrorists responsible for the 1972 Munich massacre, history has shown that Israelis don't forgive easily, and they have a very long memory. Mm-hmm. There were three known assassination attempts on El Mabu before the successful fourth attempt. The first was a car bombing. The second, a poison attempt in Beirut that left El Mabu unconscious for 30 hours before he eventually woke up. The third was also in 2009, this time in Dubai, and was carried out by the unit that managed to finally get him in 2010. He fell seriously ill but recovered. No one, including himself, suspected that he had been poisoned. Didn't even know it was an attempt on his life. Wow. Now, this unit was comprised of elite operatives of Mossad who are separated from the rest of the organization. They don't go to Mossad headquarters. They don't tell anybody what they do. Only their spouses are allowed to know their real job. No one else close to them is allowed to know the truth. They have given Al-Mabu the codename Plasma Screen. And after (laughs) the failed poisoning in Dubai, they tried two months later. January 19. Shitty code name, Plasma Screen. <laughs> I want to be like the, the White Tiger or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, should have been like the... Named after a shitty outdated TV. Yeah, the Black Bear or something. <laughs> um, but they try again two months later, January 19, 2010. They know El Mabu is coming back to Dubai, and this time the agents vow that they will not leave the city until they have confirmed personally that he is dead. Oh, you do not want to be on Mossad's list. <laughs> no, Mossad, don't fuck around. It probably made it worse that he didn't die in the first assassination attempt because yeah. then he's just got to walk around knowing that I'm going to get assassinated. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, but maybe he treats every day like it's his last, you know? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. He pray love gave, or something. Gave him a new lease on life. <laughs> <laughs> Live like you've been... Uh... <laughs> Live like you've had an assassination. That's right. Colours are more vibrant. Flavours are more flavourful, you know. Infidels are more dead, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mossad agents have been monitoring El Mabu's activity on his computer after they managed to plant spyware on there. 
He booked a plane ticket and accommodation on this computer, so the agents know that he will be arriving in Dubai at 3pm, and they know he'll be staying at the five-star Albistan Rotana Hotel. El Mabu is a deeply paranoid man, and with good reason, obviously. <laughs> Israel has him on their most wanted list since 1989, and he has dedicated his life to helping Hamas in their fight against the Jews. He is cozy with the higher-ups in the Quds Force in Iran, and he purchases weapons for Hamas from Iran. He has survived three assassination attempts, two that he is aware of. He has good reason to watch his back. Al Mabu travels with bodyguards, never uses his real name, and is always thinking of how he might be killed. For example, on this trip, Al Mabu specifically requests a room with no balcony and with windows that are sealed. I guess he's seen enough spy movies to be worried about somebody scaling the outside of the building. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, rule out the Mission Impossible Tom Cruise cut through the window. <laughs> Come through the roof. Glass cutter. It's that. It's that classic thing. You get the hotel room next to it, yeah. and then uh, you right. go out onto your balcony and then sneak over to their balcony Spider-Man style. <laughs> Boom. Dead. He's not falling for that, though. Yeah. So, unfortunately for him, El Mabu's bodyguards are unable to get a ticket on the same flight, so he will be unprotected for one night. Oh, His bodyguards no. will come tomorrow, but it will be too late. <laughs> that is going to be the worst bodyguards ever. Yeah, that's a pretty... Like, wouldn't you just... Just, just wing it for 24 hours, which or nothing will happen to you. <laughs> just get a later flight, you fucking that's right. idiot. Send the bodyguards <laughs> first so that they're yeah. there when you get there. Well, this guy deserved a fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did, but not for that reason. Yeah. Um, a team of 26 Mossad agents are in place. They have been arriving in Dubai all day and checking into this hotel and ones near it. They are travelling under aliases, of course, with passports from Western countries. Twelve agents use British passports, six Irish, four French, one German, and three Australian. Mm. They move alone or in pairs. There is a 27-minute video on YouTube made up of CCTV footage compiled by the Dubai police, along with accompanying notes explaining what you are looking at. It has clips from the airport and the hotel showing Al Mabu being monitored and followed and his movements being communicated between agents. I'm going to be referencing this video for the rest of the story. Okay. Watched it a few times. <laughs> I've seen this video as well. I think you showed it to me. <laughs> yeah. The agents are dressed as normal Western travelers, some in business attire, some in street clothes. When Al Mabu checks in, there are two men checking in as well, one on either side of him. These men are both Mossad agents. Oh. Two men in athletic attire, complete with tennis rackets and backpacks, follow El Mabru up in the elevator as he goes to his room. Who would suspect that these regular Western guys who presumably just came back from a round of tennis are actually Mossad agents, confirming El Mabru's room number? Ugh. It's room 230. This is communicated to the rest of the team, and the room opposite, 237, is booked by an agent travelling under the name Peter. Peter never enters room 237. He gives the room key to another agent and is out of the country a full hour before Al Mabu is dead. What? what? Not every member of the 26 agent squad had a sexy job. Can I interrupt you there? Yeah. What's, why, why do they need one guy to book the room and then hand the key off to someone else and that guy leaves the country straight away? What's, what's the purpose of that? Well, luckily, you should have let me finish. Oh, okay. Not every member of the 26 agent squad has a sexy job. Can you guys guess why Peter left the country in such a hurry? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I imagine that as soon as they found El Mabu, yeah. they would look at the adjoining rooms and see 
Beat right. Him. And then lock him so he wouldn't be able to get out of the country? So, I, I'd suspect... Yeah, I suspect what what would happen is if on the off chance that, you know, they found him straight away mm. and they suspected something, they would go, hmm, who could it be? Maybe it was the guy who specifically requested the room directly opposite him. Mm-hmm. So, they send a message to the airport and says, if this guy's traveling, don't let him leave the country. Oh, yeah. so, okay. If he's already out of the country, by the time his body's found, then- even if he's a suspect, he's already gone. Yeah. No. Can't be held. That feels overly cautious to me, but okay. <laughs> oh, they, I they've guess got 26 I'm, people there for one dude. <laughs> overly yeah, cautious I'm, is- I'm not a member of the inter- uh, secret intelligence community, so I That's guess there's exactly a reason for that. fucking why you're not a member. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't just some, like, some bozo rolls up and shoots him in the head sort of thing. Honestly, this I'm surprised that they didn't just crafted. pop him at the front desk when they were either side of him. Yeah, they could have. In and out, job done in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they just shot everyone else in the hotel. Yeah. Um, Hitman stuff. No <laughs> like Agent 47 stuff. <laughs> Leave no witnesses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was I was always terrible at that game. I could never get the um, Silent Assassin rating. I'd always get the, like, <laughs> brute force. <or> yeah. <laughs> no witness, no crime. The rape and pillage rating. Uh, okay, Al Mabu leaves the hotel to go shopping at 4.23 p.m. Agents in the lobby walk out, uh, watch him walk out, and one follows him from a distance to see what car he gets into. This guy's a fucking idiot. He leaves the hotel with no bodyguards. Mm. Why wouldn't he just stay there? He's obviously not that paranoid. It's safe to assume that El Mabu's car is followed and his location is tracked for the entire time he's out of the hotel. While he is out, four agents show up to the hotel. I said before that not every member has a sexy job, but these four have the sexiest job of all. (laughs) They are the hitmen. They come in two pairs and join three other agents on the second floor. A man and a woman are there, keeping watch as the four men join the agent in the in room 237, and the five of them attempt to gain entry into room 230. According to the hotel's IT system, there was an attempt to reprogram El Mabu's electronic door while he was out shopping. It is not known exactly how they managed to enter the room, but as you'll see later, they obviously know their way around locks. It would seem that the reprogramming attempt was successful, but there is also the possibility that somebody knocked on the door pretending to be hotel staff. The latter seems unlikely, though, considering El Mabu's intense and well-placed paranoia. At 8pm, a hotel guest exit the elevator on the second floor and the agent on lookout, travelling under the name Kevin, distracts the guest for almost a minute, buying time for the assassins in the hallway. This is all on video. At 8.24pm, the quote-unquote victim returns to the hotel, carrying a shopping bag. He exits the elevator on floor two and walks past a woman on her mobile phone in the hallway. This woman is a Mossad agent, travelling under the name Gail. I wonder who she's on the phone to. <laughs> It is believed that the four assassins are waiting inside Al Mabu's room already, waiting for his return. Al Mabu enters his room at 8.27pm as Gail and Kevin both loiter around the elevator and the hallway. No one comes or goes, and 19 minutes later at 8.46pm, all four assassins take the elevator to the lobby and leave the hotel. Ugh, got him. One minute later, Gail and another agent, presumably the one responsible for hacking his way into room 230, leave the hotel as well. Four more minutes go by, and the lookout Kevin exits the hotel. One minute after this, the surveillance team in the lobby leaves the hotel. This means El Mabu arrives back at his hotel at 8.24pm, and within half an hour, he is dead, and the entire team has left the hotel. Within 12 hours, the entire team has left the country, long before El Mabu's body is discovered. 
They scattered all over the world. Hong Kong, Frankfurt, Johannesburg, Zurich, Rome. Wow. They were all gone. <laughs> At 1.30pm the next day, the maid attempted to gain entry into Elmer Boo's room. He was late for checkout, so she had the right to enter. However, his room was locked from the inside by the physical latch and chain lock. What? How'd they get out? When hotel staff managed to enter the room, they found the occupant unresponsive on his bed. Obviously, this man died of natural causes. <laughs> he's just some random nobody. Remember, he's traveling under a fake name. <laughs> there is no sign of a struggle. There's an open bottle of medicine on his bedside table, and the door was locked from the inside by a physical lock. You can't latch the chain unless you're inside the room, and you can't leave without unlatching it. There's nothing to see here. An overweight 50-year-old guy had a heart attack or something in his sleep. Case closed. Whoa, man, I'm true. All right. Trevor, that's crazy. You got to explain this. Yeah, yeah. No one knows. What do you mean no one knows? <laughs> no one knows. How the it's fuck did like they the do it? Oh, God no damn it. I can't believe you fucking blue-balled me like that. I know what happened. They couldn't actually gain entry, and he just had a heart attack. <laughs> Just pure coincidence. That's what's happened. Genius. Yeah. They all just left. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> That's fucking insane. How so do you- they don't they don't have any footage of the hallway outside room two thirty. No, so the there's no CCT camera that's pointing like uh with that door in frame. So you can see how close to it but not not further along. Did they get out? Oh, I really want to know. That's crazy. Yeah, I think I've seen some video where a, a chick does it with um, a rubber band. So she's able to like not not lock it from the outside, but unlock it mm. from the outside. So it's um. So what have you just pretty crazy? Do that in so so yeah, theoretically it. you could do it the other <laughs> way around, I guess. Yeah. So they would have they would have figured out a way to do it where you have like some rubber. Ba- I don't know. It's just some very- some chain locks you can like if you've got skinny arms, you can do it from. The yeah, outside, but what like about the if the door opens, door lock, well, that's the fucked part. I don't know. Maybe they used like a magnet to twist it. I don't fucking Ooh, know. Oh, that's actually not a bad idea. That's all I got. That's the best I got. No, they like they lock the the latch and chain. Yeah, and then the other lock is like the the deadbolt, the electronic lock. Oh, I don't know if there's a deadbolt. I assume it's a deadbolt. Just here, whatever. Anyway, it was locked from the inside. The police said, obviously. <laughs> was it a murder? Yeah. It didn't even cross their mind. Why would it be a homicide? Anyway, one week later, Hamas leaders in Damascus contacted the chief of police in Dubai, telling him that the man who died in the hotel last week was not just some random guy. It was Mahmoud Al-Mabou, a Hamas operative on Mossad's hit list. You should look deeper into it. Apparently, the police chief shouted down the phone, take yourselves and your bank accounts and your weapons and your forged fucking passports <laughs> and get out of my country. <laughs> He was not thrilled that Hamas was sending operatives to do business in Dubai and dismissed the idea that his city was being used as a battleground by Mossad. They wouldn't do that. (laughs) However, he wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't at least do a quick review of the CCTV footage of the Al-Bastan Rotana Hotel on the night of that man's death. After a quick review of the footage, he immediately opened an investigation and all the pieces started falling into place. That's insane. Our investigations reveal that Mossad is involved in the murder of Al-Mabu. It is 99%, if not 100%, that Mossad is standing behind the murder. This is what the police chief said in a press conference three weeks later on February 18th. Originally, they counted 11 suspects, but as they looked deeper, they found 15 more. 
It was a 26-person squad. In March, the police chief said, I am now completely sure that it was Mossad. I have presented the Dubai prosecutor with a request for the arrest of Netanyahu and the head of Mossad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen. (laughs) For those who don't know, Netanyahu was and still is the Prime Minister of Israel. So this guy wanted to arrest the sitting Prime Minister of another country. He was fucking pissed. I'm assuming that Netanyahu showed up to serve his time. Um, so, how did they actually kill al Well, there are reports of suffocation, poisoning, electrocution. In March, the Dubai police gave their official findings. Mahmoud al was injected in the leg with a chemical suck-in ilcoline and then suffocated with a pillow. The assassins used this method so that his death would seem natural, said the deputy commissioner, a deputy commander of Dubai police. Mm-hmm. Well, mate, I guess it worked, since no one suspected a thing until Hamas claimed, like they do for everything else, the Jews did it. <laughs> <laughs> so broken clocks right twice a day, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. mental. That's crazy. They almost they almost got away with it if, uh, if it weren't for the Dubai police chief taking Hamas at their word. Yeah. Well, it's crazy because the restraint that they need to show. Because M- Mossad can get messy. Oh, yeah. Oh, they like, enjoy getting yeah, a message sometimes. They send a message. So, the, the actual restraint shown there to try and make it look like a, a natural death is pretty impressive, I guess. Yeah, like, a, a lot of their assassinations are clear murders, mm. and they're just like, well, we're not, we didn't do it, or we're not going to tell you if we did it, yeah. sort of thing. Whereas, in this case, they were trying to make it look like he died of natural causes, which, of course, makes you wonder how many other mm. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Hamas right. and Hezbollah... Uh, you know, and Al-Qaeda and all these other terrorist organizations, how many of their members have died and people thought it was natural causes, but it was actually some sneaky juice. It, um, <laughs> it really upsets me that these organizations just take it upon themselves to just murder a person. Like, I, I understand that he was a bad guy, but- Talking about Hamas? <laughs> no, Mossad. <laughs> they take it upon themselves to murder people too. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I don't know. It just—it's just so sinister. Them pl- planning out this whole fucking undercover thing, and then they all fucking scatter to the wind, fly to the, all the corners of the globe, and just the fact that they're hiding. Do you know it- what the word sinister means? It doesn't mean awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you talking about like this is amazing. No, I, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I don't oh, like. Uh, I don't like state state-sanctioned murder. I don't like murder uh, at all, Mister Mister Diplomacy over here. Oh. If you end up on Mossad's <laughs> list, you've done something you deserve. Well, you're probably on Mossad's list already, Brad. We've heard the things you say about the Jews. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> it's scared, all on actually. record as well. Mm, that is actually upsetting. Now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You could die of natural causes in a hotel no, room as I well, I haven't right? killed any Jews yet. As the moment I do. <laughs> yeah. I know what's coming for He's me. planning on it, but he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, look, you, you don't end up on Mossad's hit list for making a bad bunch of hummus or something. Yeah, you know? like, but I... You've got to be a bad dude to get on there. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't... I don't like state-sanctioned murder. <laughs> I'm okay with regular sanctioned murder, but state-sanctioned? That's overreach. Uh, I don't know. It's not like it was a crime <laughs> of passion or something. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It creeps me out. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair to be creeped out by murder but or assassination. You're allowed to be wrong. That's all right. <laughs> um, 
So I chose this assassination because I remember when it happened and reading about it. I was at work. I used to work at a petrol station. I was reading the newspaper one Sunday. Because that's all you did at work when you worked at the petrol station. There was a full double page spread in the Herald Sun about this assassination. I was just reading it like, holy shit, I can't believe this. This is, is this real life? So I just, I, I, I was just so interested and captivated by it. And I read that article like two or three times that shift. And yeah, I thought it was really, really exciting and really, really cool. And, um, then I remember the the big fallout, of course, that happened. Oh, after yeah, I was going to so, say, wasn't it a bit of a political shit show because Australian passports were used? Yeah. So when when they found out that Australian passports had been used, um, we our country expelled an Israeli diplomat. And I remember thinking at the time, if I was prime minister in two thousand and ten, which I remind you, I would have been, if not for Russian interference, <laughs> I would have. I would have been honoured that Australian passports were used in this mission. I would have loved it. I would have invited more diplomats in, not less. You would have just sent them a bunch of blank fucking passports to the Israeli. <laughs> I don't know why that makes Australia look bad, though. Like, I'm sure yeah, no. Mossad have the technology and the resources to produce fake passports. That doesn't oh, necessarily mean that um, the Australian government issued fake passports to these people. No, but it means that they're kind of like using the identity of... Because what what they're actually doing was that they would take Israeli citizens who were dual citizens with another country and create a passport in their name for the other country with all the correct details, but use a Mossad agent's picture. That is fucking... That's a lot of work. So it's not just a fake identity. It's a real person, just with a different... Just a different picture. And not not even just a real person. It's a real person who is a citizen of that country. That... Yeah. So they literally Man, stole their identity. They just took a different photo. Seems like a, a shame that they got caught. Like they put so much work into covering their tracks. Because mm. who's going to go that deep looking into like whether this person is actually the person they say they are? And on top of that, whether they are a citizen of the country that they say they're a citizen. Like it's just, I don't know. It's It just seems, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's overly cautious, but. I guess it has to be. I still don't like it. Yeah. So anyway, it, Australia, Britain did the same thing, expelling diplomats, and you know it was a, it was like a, you know, you're disrespecting our citizens by using their identity and blah blah blah. But I mean, the the word is no one knows for sure, but the idea is that apparently Israel, the Israeli government goes up to people who are dual citizens of another country mm-hmm. and says, "Do you plan on?" Uh, leaving the country in the next year. Do you plan on traveling internationally in the next year? And if they say no, they say, do you mind if we borrow your passport details <laughs> uh, out of, you would be doing this out of duty to your country. You know, do you agree? <laughs> I mean, you can't really say no to Mossad, can you? It's possible that these people are not so innocent and that they knew that their passport details were going to mm. be used. But it, all, it is also possible that the, they just randomly chose three people. I'm sure well. they just randomly chose three people. <laughs> If you guys were approached, I mean, we're not uh, <laughs> Israeli dual citizens anyway, Thank but God. if you guys were approached by the Mossad and they were like, well, not by the Mossad, obviously, just some random bozo, and he was like, <laughs> you want to be, uh, you want to give your identity for a mission? No. Would you guys say yes? Absolutely not. I say, depends who. <laughs> I would need some sort of like, can you send me the passport after you've done so I could keep it as like a memento or something. <laughs> 
Anyway, the other thing really interesting about this is it was like real legitimate spy shit. Yeah. You know, it was like yeah. Hollywood spy shit. Yeah. Like the, these people are wearing wigs and glasses and changing I outfits. I think that's what's freaking me out about it is that it's like it's it's something from a movie, but it's real. <laughs> There's actually footage of uh, people walking out of camera shot in one outfit and then walking back into frame in another <laughs> outfit. And one of the guys, he enters the hotel uh, goes walks through the lobby and goes up into the elevator. He's a bald guy wearing a cap. And when he exits the elevator, he's got a wig on, no cap. Oh. That's good. Cool. <laughs> so, That's good. Cool. And they also, they communicated with each other with these specialized miniature communication devices. And they, they never called each other. So, when that lady was on the phone, she was on the phone to someone in Austria because there was presumably a command center in Austria. There are a few different numbers called by these phones. But they never, like, call each other directly. And then they were constantly swapping out the surveillance teams. So, they weren't they weren't the same people hanging around in the same area oh. for too long. Like, they just swap them out. So, you're in the lobby, all right, you got to leave and go out the front of the hotel and just... So, you know, try not to get caught like that. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, and also the fact that we know all this is because so much of the operation was caught on CCTV. Oh. So, you know, it, it wasn't particularly unique or anything. Israel does this kind of stuff all the time. But what makes it unique yeah, is that you can watch the operation unfold on YouTube. You can see El Mabu get out of the elevator and walk down the hall literally minutes before he dies. I'm going to have to check that video out. After it's, a cool, it's a creepy video, but it's cool. I'm creeped out by it just hearing it described. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty insane. I recommend anyone watch it. Like, Morg showed it to me years ago when it happened, and I was like, oh, fuck, man, that's mental. <laughs> it's pretty good. Anyway, before we move on, I should just mention that Israel have a policy of ambiguity around these things, as they call it, meaning that they generally will not confirm or deny their involvement in these kind of operations. So I'll ask all listeners to retrofit and allegedly <laughs> for every claim I made. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Do you, uh, yeah, that was good. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. Yeah. All right. Who do you guys think has the record for second most documented assassination attempts on them? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Zog One of Albania. Zog One. Zog, Zog One of Albania. Throughout his reign Spell as that. Zog Z O G One, like Zog the First. Mm. Okay. Not like Zog, like not as in like Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of one. No, Zog the first <laughs> of Albania. Throughout his reign as Prime Minister, then President, then King, there were 55 attempts made on his life. It's an interesting story, but that's not what I'm here for. Who cares about number two? That guy's a loser. <laughs> I'm only bringing him up so you can truly appreciate who I am going to talk about. Fidel Castro was the 15th Prime Minister of Cuba. He was also the 15th President of the Republic of Cuba and served as First Secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba from 1965 to 2011. Now, we're not here to talk politics. That would be a much different and much longer episode. So I'm not going to get into whether or not assassinating Castro would have been justified. What I am going mm. to get into is how they tried to assassinate him. Justifiably. <laughs> they, in this case, refers to our malevolent friends at the CIA. Between 1959 and 2000, America's Central Intelligent Intelligence Agency enacted 638 plots to end the Cuban leader's <laughs> life. 
Oh, That's more than one attempt a month for 38 years. That time spans the tenures of nine US presidents, both Democrats and Republicans, at an average of nearly 80 assassination plots per president. I know I said I wasn't <laughs> going to talk politics, but doesn't that just go to show that both sides are the same and we need to smash the state? <laughs> to be fair, and if you're listening carefully, you might have figured this out because the maths didn't add up. Gerald Ford, bless his heart, banned all political assassinations when he was president. So there were no attempts on Castro's life during his term. You better believe, wow. though, that they were straight back into it as soon as, as, soon as Jimmy Carter got into office. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Carter, he was such a, like, a pushover. I thought, oh, that actually makes sense. Though. Yeah, that's they, right. Like the CIA strong-armed him. Exactly. Gerald Ford was up there like, no, can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he was a man, Gerald Ford. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, about these assassin- assassination attempts. Why were there so many plans to kill Castro? Well, he kept fucking surviving them, for one. You can't just stop after the first go if the guy you're trying to kill doesn't die. Mm. The other reason, though, is that all these plans were so fucking goofy. The CIA operates differently on foreign soil than it does inside US borders. Inside America, they'll blow the brains out of a sitting president's head in full view of the public. No worries. (laughs) (laughs) But when you're in another country, you can't be so brazen. You don't want it looking like America is murdering foreign leaders who ideologically oppose them. I mean, it's not like anyone would ever believe that anyway, but you can never be too careful. (laughs) You have to be stealthy. Fidel Castro had an infamous weakness for cigars. Cuban cigars, after all, are the best in the world. And when you're El Presidente and control the means of production, you only want the best. So let's do something to his cigars, the CIA thought. They laced a box of Cubans with poison and smuggled it into Castro's supply. Somehow, though, none of the poisoned cigars actually made it into his hands. Close, but no cigar. (laughs) 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 Okay, thanks for that. (laughs) They also tried loading a cigar with enough explosives to take a man's head off when lit. Lachlan, do you know if these poisoned cigars Mm. made their way to, like... (laughs) A regular Cubans who did nothing wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, but I, I don't know for sure. They probably ended up with some worker who was, you know, not making any money because he's in a socialist <laughs> paradise. And he's like, I'm going to snag a few Cubans off the top. Mm. And went home, smoked up with his family and killed the entire family. Dead immediately. Mm. Maybe. Better dead than rad. That's right. I was about to say, that'd be in a better place. <laughs> The CIA also tried loading a cigar with enough explosives to take a man's head off when lit. Again, it never actually made it to Castro. Too bad he wasn't alive in the era of e-cigarettes, am I right? <laughs> His head would have been blown off. Would have done the job for him. Just hitting that yeah. jewel. <laughs> now, young Fidel's favorite hobby was scuba diving. He loved to get out there in the ocean looking at fish and coral and shit. Surely that's, that's exploitable, right? Yeah, Harold Holt drowned. That's right. The CIA (laughs) contaminated a wetsuit and breathing apparatus with a fungus that causes a debilitating and deadly skin disease. It was supposed to be given to Castro as a gift by an American lawyer involved in hostage negotiations between Cuba and the US. But God damn it, he had a change of heart at the last minute and never gave it to him. All right, shit, we can still get him while he's underwater. They got a bunch of big 
colourful, interesting-looking seashells and packed them with explosives. <laughs> Just paddle out and shoot them, man. Fucking hell. I know, it's some Looney Tunes shit. Yeah. This is crazy. Well, that didn't work either, though. Castro either never got close enough to them or they failed to go off. You know what else Castro loved? Milkshakes. <laughs> he was known to have a chocolate milkshake at the same time every day in his favourite cafe. Every day. So they slipped some poison pills to a sympathetic worker at the cafe in Havana where Castro liked to get his shake on. Do you think it worked? <laughs> of course not, idiot. The guy who worked in the cafe stored the pills in the freezer. They froze to the walls and when he tried to pull them off, the pills broke and spilled the poison everywhere. <laughs> oh my god. Like any good communist dictator, Castro had a long string of love affairs. It's said he slept with 35,000 women throughout his life. Oh, Justin Trudeau's mum, for example. <laughs> <laughs> That's established fact. Uh, well, the CIA tried to use a woman scorned. An old lover would surely be able to get close enough to do the deed. They say hell, hell hath no fury, but she changed her mind at the last minute and couldn't go through with it. Ugh. When Castro found the stash of pills she was supposed to give to him, he handed her his forty-five and said, You can't kill me. Nobody can kill me. (laughs) To further cement his place in the Alpha Dog Hall of Fame, he then threw her down on the bed and they made passionate love. (laughs) (laughs) This motherfucker won't die. So what if we just assassinate his character instead? They wanted to pump LSD vapor into the studio where Castro made his radio broadcasts. Didn't work. They could never get the gas stable. They were going to dust his shoes with thallium salts to make his iconic beard fall out. But Castro never made the trip that the CIA had planned this for. Hallucinogenic drugs in his cigars? You should know by now that that's not going to (laughs) work. Obviously, we don't have time for me to list every single attempt the CIA made to kill Fidel Castro, but let me assure you the list goes on. From enlisting the mafia to arming Cuban rebels, from false flag terrorist attacks, look up Operation Northwoods, that's why JFK got murdered, to just straight up (laughs) armed hitmen. For one reason or another, they could never get him. And I do mean never. The last documented attempt on Castro's life was in 2000, when the CIA planted 90 kilos of explosives under a podium he was supposed to give a speech behind. Castro's security team found the explosives long before he ever came close to it. Hmm. And after all that, Fidel Castro died in 2016 at 90 years old of natural causes. His last words weren't recorded, but I like to think they were Cogger el CIA. Okay, what's that mean? That's that's fuck the CIA in Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) And indeed, fuck the CIA, because the CIA are an evil, evil, evil organization. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be pretty bad to (laughs) make your root for Castro's side. I know, right? (laughs) Sounds like the CIA were buying all of their uh, plot devices from like Acme or something like that. The Roadrunner. <laughs> yeah, like, were they delivering him cakes with, like, boxing gloves in them or something like that? They probably were. Punch him in the face? I've got, I've got a good theory here, and okay. it falls in line with our view of government. Oh, you know, okay. Government bureaucracies that never end. Uh-huh. Um, you establish some sort of commission, and then it never goes away. So, I think a few guys got put in charge of Castro's assassination <laughs> in the CIA. 
we'll pay you 200 grand a year. And they're like, holy shit, this is a cushy job. No matter how long it takes to kill Castro, 200 grand a year each. Yep. You just got to kill him. And they're like, well, actually, if we never kill him, <laughs> then we get all this money forever. So why don't we just come up with wacky ideas? That what if we put salt in his shoes to make his beard fall out? That'll do the job. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, after the first failed attempts, you start going, oh, well, we need extra people on it. And then, you know, then you- this falls in line with why there were like 600 attempts as well, is because it's like, to prove that we're oh, doing no. the work, we have to submit each of our assassination So we had this idea where we were trying to put bombs in seashells. Didn't work, but, you know, we're trying. That's crazy. <laughs> Fucking. Mental. Yeah, oh. it's um, I I can't remember the exact quote, but Castro said something like, "If um, trying to be killed was an Olympic sport, he'd have the gold medal." <laughs> it just they tried to kill him so He's many the times. Ultimate survivor. Did they really try though? That's the thing. Just in case anyone is interested, the I, I said before, uh, roughly eighty assassination attempts per president, but um, it varied. A little bit between different presidents. Um, the least amount of assassination attempts, other than Gerald Ford, was um, George H.W. Bush, oh. George Bush the senior, uh, at 16 assassination attempts. So, still more <laughs> than one month. He was only a four-year president, though. Yeah. Who do you, think, who do you guys think was, was first? So, from Dwight Eisenhower to Bill Clinton, <laughs> who do you think was the most assassination attempts on Castro. I reckon Johnson, Lyndon Johnson. Oh, that's a oh good yeah, guess. you'd think Lyndon Johnson. He was LBJ? a motherfucker. Yeah. No, he's ah. third. Oh. Ronald Reagan at 197. Oh. Oh. Jesus, oh. Reagan won him dead. Richard Nixon got the silver medal, 184. Very nice. Oh. Ooh. Reagan and Nixon, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. That, that is insane. Insane. Yep. I can't believe LBJ wasn't more bloodthirsty. He used to walk around with his dick out on the White House lawn just to fucking intimidate people. Yeah, but he got JFK, so, you know, he he, he got his man. <laughs> he had plenty of assassination attempts. They just weren't all on Castro like the others. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's fair. That's, fair. that's right. And some of them were successful. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson and the CIA killed JFK. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> what? <laughs> Very interesting. Now, because we're talking about JFK here, I didn't want to do my segment straight after um, I finished speaking because I'd been going for a while. But uh, since you mentioned JFK, Lachlan, I think it's a good time for Morgan's Which Were Other. Morgan. 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 Morgan's Would You Rather. And just uh, in case anyone is interested in hearing about the politically motivated assassination of John F. Kennedy, uh, you can go and listen to episode three of Brad is a Bad Person. It's an excellent episode, though. I think it was very good. It was a very good episode. Very well researched. Yeah, I broke it all down. <laughs> it was, um, well, I won't spoil it. <laughs> okay. It was the CIA. <laughs> no, it wasn't the CIA. Anyway, would you rather be Abraham lincoln or JFK-O'd? <laughs> now, oh, God. what I mean by that is they both got shot in the head and died almost instantly. But... Would you rather you were killed and there wasn't footage of your death? <laughs> or would you rather be <laughs> shot in the fucking head and have your head explode and that was captured on film forever? I can see there are pros and cons of both of these, so I want to see what you guys think. 
I want the first lady hunched over the back of a cart trying to jam <laughs> my brain back into my skull. <laughs> I definitely want it. No, if I'm if I'm someone who's high enough up to be assassinated, I want it on on camera. I want people to see it. It's quite undignified, Lachlan. Uh, uh, I'm of the <laughs> same train of thought. I'm an undignified person. Yeah, like if I'm going to go out, I want to go out like a bowler and seeing my head explode is pretty fucking mm. gnarly. That's that right. being said, because of the whole back into the left bullshit of that film, you know, there's a million different conspiracies. <laughs> so I kind of feel like it'd be an asshole thing to not die super, super obviously. Like, if I'm going to die... Oh, it's pretty sure obvious that he died, Brad. Bits or something. <laughs> I don't want it to be like, oh, did you see the way his body fell and mm. all this kind of shit? It's and, funny, you'd think... Nah. Just you'd think footage of it would mean that there were less conspiracies because there's like more solid evidence. Yeah, yeah. But it actually turns out there's a lot more because everybody's just like, oh yeah, it was John Wilkes Booth. Like nobody even. <laughs> there's no conspiracies yeah, I don't think there are any conspiracies about Lincoln's death. Really. Um, yeah, but yeah. So you would you would maybe we should start some conspiracies about Lincoln. Even it up. <laughs> you would go with uh, Lincoln. Lincoln, Brad. Yeah. No, I'd go with uh, oh, JFK. Hard. JFK for sure. Yeah, and no, I've got to go with JK. It's so the Zapruder film is so fucking gnarly. Like there are conspiracies about Lincoln, just not about his death. Oh, like like that he was gay. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> is that a well? You've seen his wife. He must. He didn't have a wife, gay. did he? Probably true. I thought he was like the Bachelor Prez. No, no, no. He had a wife, but she was just dog ugly. She had a. <laughs> oh, she had a dick. <laughs> <laughs> She definitely could have been a bloke in a dress. Let's put it that way. Uh, okay, well. S- sounds like another recent president's wife. So I think as um, <laughs> as much as I think it would be cool to have my head exploded on film forever, I I will go with Lincoln mm. just out of respect for my family who uh, I don't want them to have to say that. Oh, that's fair. I didn't think about that. Mate, Jackie was there, whether it was on film or not. She saw it happen. Yeah, she was a ride or die hard. Did you see her? That's right. Especially considering he treated us her dad and cheated on her all the time. She was a. Uh, um, yeah, anyway. No, it, well, that's that's one person, Lachlan, that, you know, the rest of your family. You know, if yeah. Shannon saw me get my head exploded, then it wouldn't matter if it was on film or not, but to her. Do you think she'd try and put your brain back in your head? I'd like to think she'd do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if Ash would. I think she'd just leave. It. I'll I'll ask her when we're finished. Recording. Anyway, the rest of the family, my mum, my um, dad, my siblings, my friends, they probably don't want to see my head fucking explode everywhere. Maybe you guys do. You sick cunts, but I think your dad would watch that video. Yeah, <laughs> mm. I think Billy'd be all over it. All right, Brad, do you want to uh, you want to kill us softly with your assassination? All right, uh, just a warning. There's going to be some Japanese names here, and I am definitely going to butcher Such them. Such a so. wee, Brad. Anytime there's a chance to bring up Japan, you're like, oh, arigato. Japanese? <laughs> arigato, yes. <laughs> no context facts with Brad. The first person ever killed by an automobile was Bridget Driscoll who walked in front of one giving demonstration rides on the 17th of August, 1896. Bridget then gave her own impromptu demonstration on how to be roadkill. Oh, <laughs> look both ways. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, Injero Asanuma 
is a name many people might not be familiar with. He was a Japanese statesman. I don't think anyone's familiar with it. You're, yeah, you're not familiar with that. Why? Why? I'm, I'm familiar you with it. You couldn't pronounce it. It was a joke. It's, it's a joke about how you pronounced it. Asanuma. That's his name. Sure it is. <sighs> All right. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> he was spectacularly assassinated on the 12th of October, 1960. Going out in style. A successful politician, Asanuma, had served on Japan's diet from 1936 to 1942. In 1942, Asanuma ran for Prime Minister of Japan, but when his chances of victory looked about as good as Bernie Sanders, he dropped out and retired from politics. Oh, oh Bernie Sanders could have won if the fucking DNC didn't Press F. dick him. F's in the chat. Politically assassinated, am I right? That's right. Exactly. There is no official date in which Asanuma returned to politics, but I'm guessing he'd wished he'd stayed retired because his overt political statements and inflammatory nature would lead to his assassination. Uh-huh. When Asanuma burst back onto the scene sometime prior to 1959, he was a full-blown left-wing socialist. <laughs> As I'm sure we're all aware, socialism and communism are like two two peas in a soon-to-be-doomed pod. <laughs> I think I know this story. This is awesome, Brad. Good choice. <laughs> Asanuma and the Japanese Socialist Party were starting to gain momentum in a post-World War II Japan. The country's pride had been take, had taken a thorough beating at the hands of the Allies, and they were still finding their feet. Japan and America were in the formative stages of an alliance that is still going strong to this day. But people like Asanuma were not about to let that alliance blossom if they had it their way. Asanuma staunchly opposed any ties to America. After all, they had disarmed and occupied large parts of Japan. Asanuma, rather, found kinship in China. Such a great place. (laughs) And their dictatorial communist regime. Mao Zedong had recently taken over China in an alliance... (laughs) Mao Zedong! That's his name, isn't it? Sorry. It's just the way you said it. It sounded like you said... Mousy Dong. Oh, Mousy <laughs> Mousy Dong. Mousy Dong. <laughs> Thank you. Had recently taken over China, and an alliance with Japan would give the communist state an unshakable foothold in the area. During 1959, Asanuma would fly to China to meet with party officials, even Mao Zedong himself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> While there, Asanuma would, take, would make a speech labelling the United States the shared enemy of China and Japan. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not wrong, though. Naturally, this pissed off the US, as they had zero diplomatic relations with China and a fledgling alliance with Japan. When Asanuma returned to Japan, he would wear a Mao suit, so you know those stupid outfits, uh, uh-huh. off the plane to show his support of the communist shithole. It was like big beige overcoats. Yep. Asanuma began his began sorry his run for re-election into the House of Representatives in 1960. Now, anyone who has listened to this podcast knows that the Japanese are a prideful people. We've discussed them several times, and it took two nuclear explosions to convince the Japanese emperor to withdraw from World War II, where he was then criticised for not fighting to the last man, woman, and child. Yeah, this is a guy who saw the atomic bomb drop on uh, whichever the first one was, Nagasaki, I think, and he was just like, "Yeah, eh. what else you got? What else yeah. you got, bitches? We've got plenty of people. We'll fight. We'll fight." Um, so anyway, do these seem like the kind of people who are willing to give up their country to limp-wristed socialists? Do they seem like the kind of people who will become communist lapdogs, sucking on Mao's Zedong? <laughs> He's ah, nice. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Regardless, Asanuma pushed on, gathering support along the way. Asanuma, ever inflammatory, had got himself onto the radar of 
uh, I'm going to butcher this, Uyoko Dantai, an ultra-nationalist party in Japan. Sounded good. Pretty, pretty good. A group whose three main principles are maintain the fund- fundamental character of the nation, hostility towards communism or Marxism, and hostility <laughs> against the Japanese Teachers Union. Third one. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> I'm going to know it. <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> they are still around today. If anyone Brad, did you say Marxist and Teachers Union? Why did you have to say yeah. that? <laughs> Isn't that implied? <laughs> uh, Myth Uyoko Dantai's ranks, Asanuma had caught the eyes of 17-year-old Otoya Yamaguchi. Yamaguchi may have been young, but he clearly saw the threat that communism poses to any civilized country. Mm. This leads to the 12th of October 1960. Asanuma is scheduled to speak in a televised debate at Tokyo's Hibiya Hall. The crowd is packed and hidden within it, Otoya Yamaguchi. Oh. <laughs> Yamaguchi makes his way to the side of the stage in the packed hall, and concealed in his jacket is a yori doshi, or an armor piercer, a foot-long katana-like blade. What? <laughs> he killed him Japanese style? Yamaguchi. Oh, man. Waits until Asanuma is partway through a response from the host to strike. It's a large stage, and Asanuma's lectern is directly in the middle. He has to cover 15 to 20 meters to make it to his victim. Yamaguchi bursts from the crowded side stage, and with his Yoroi Doshi drawn, clatters into the side of Asanuma, hard enough to dislodge both men's glasses. Yamaguchi has sunk all 12 inches of his blade directly into Asanuma's (laughs) ribs. Yamaguchi wheels around... To strike once again, and he is pounced on by dozens of people. I mean, fucking dozens. <laughs> Unfortunately for Asanuma, it's one and done. He won't leave the building alive. Oh, no. The entire assassination is over in less than five seconds, and beamed directly to millions of homes yeah. throughout Japan. Oh, no. Yeah. For context, here is the audio yes. of <laughs> Asanuma's assassination and capture of Otoya Yamaguchi in its entirety. So you could hear um, at the start there as uh, Asanuma, Asanuma's talking, you can hear uh-huh. his footsteps across the stage, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, uh-huh. and then a lot of people start running as he hits him, and then there's just footsteps everywhere. So it's very visual. You can find the video on YouTube. Um, when you see it in slow motion, the camera angle is perfectly framed on the top half of Asanuma, and you just see the blade of the katana enter the shot oh, as it's no. coming straight into his ribs. So um, It's not very bloody or anything. It's black and white. But it is, he hits him hard, like he wanted to fuck his uh. day up. Um, <laughs> but for his part, Yamaguchi put up no real fight once he was leapt upon by Asanuma's colleagues. It's even reported that he was smiling as he was led away. <laughs> wow. Yamaguchi would never face a trial. Three weeks later in his cell, he mixed a small amount of toothpaste and water and wrote a message on, on, the, on the wall of his cell. Seven lives for my country. Long live his imperial majesty, the emperor before he hung himself from a light fixture using rope fashioned from knotted strips of bedsheets. Yamaguchi is often jokingly referred to as the man who saved anime because <laughs> the degenerate behaviors 
of Japan's <laughs> otakus wouldn't be possible under a communist yeah. regime. <laughs> I can't say that for sure, but I can say that the death of Injuru Asanuma, while publicly decried by the US, certainly didn't hurt their relations with Japan. In some alternative universe, it's possible that Asanuma leads Japan down a commie path and together with China, they lead to the downfall of the US and the demise of global civil liberties. So that is my assassination. Japan um, Japan is smart enough that if they were commies, they could take over the world with that. Yeah, if Japan and China mm. ever teamed up, we'd be in trouble. Yeah, it, it, it's a crazy thought. Like, obviously, I don't support anyone assassinating people who think differently to them. But well, it kind of sounds like you do. <laughs> it was pretty fucking metal, I'm not going to lie, because <laughs> a part of... Um, uh, their beliefs as, uh, God, I'm going to butcher this name again, Yoko Dantai, because they believe in maintaining the fundamental character of the nation. That's uh-huh. why he used the, uh, God, Yoroi Doshi. So, like, of he course. wanted to be up close and personal. It was a choice yeah, he props made. For that. He, he had access to a gun or yeah. explosives or whatever, but he was Sent like, no, message. I want to kill this man with my own hands. Yeah, uh-huh. Japanese style. <laughs> Japanese style, yes. Slice him up like a bit of sashimi. Oh, he hit him so hard. He just, like, tackled him with a sword. Did you do that thing where he, like, dashes past him and then, <laughs> like, stays for a second and then he falls in half? Yeah, basically. And then you just see, like, <laughs> a perfect line of blood up the wall. And then he wipe, wiped the blade down and put it back in its sheath. It was pretty metal. Oh. <laughs> then he backflipped his way up to the ceiling and escaped. <laughs> um but the yeah, what's really crazy is there's this great photo that actually won the Pulitzer Prize photo. Uh, the yeah, the Pulitzer Prize for the photos um, by Yes Yasushi Nagao uh, in 1961, and it's this great photo of after he stabbed him, he's turning around to stab him again right before people are about to jump on him, and he's just got uh-huh. this insane look in his eyes, like I'm gonna fuck this guy up. I mean, it already fucked him up. To be fair, yes, there we go. Morgan's got the picture up, so we can see. Sorry, you guys can't see very non-visual media, but it it won Pulitzer Prize and it also won the 1960 World Press Photo Award um, because it's a pretty fucking baller photo. So I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it look it up. Hey, we can make it. We can make it the thumbnail. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to recommend that we make it the thumbnail for this because it is a great photo. It's pretty cool. The artist was just in. Just happened to be. I mean, sorry, the photographer um, just happened to be in the perfect time and taking photos. you know, to that exact precise moment. And right I, I time understand and place. Why I want to pull it. So it's such a, I don't know, powerful, I guess, is the word I would use. But, uh-huh. yeah, it's very cool. Um, also, his little quote at the end there, that um, long, uh, seven lives of my country, long live his majesty, his imperial majesty, the emperor. It was actually a quote from a samurai named Kusanoki Masahige. Oh. And it was his last words before dying in 1336. He, basically, the sentiment is, I wish I had but like more than seven lives to yeah. give for my country. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty fucking metal statement that's pretty badass not that i you know am in support of murdering someone but if you're gonna do it yeah and you're japanese oh yeah you gotta do it with fucking samurai sword exactly (laughs) i mean you gotta be traditional whatever your country is you know japan katanas (laughs) chile helicopters you know just (laughs) america an automatic weapon in a high school Alright, quick question then. Sorry, Matt. What would Australia be then? What would that be like? Bunning sausage? Uh, <laughs> um, boomerang. A boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck both of you for saying that at the same time. <laughs> uh, China, shit. it would be famine. <laughs> um, 
shit. Um, uh. All right, well, that was uh, that was a really good one, Brad. And like, I didn't know where you were going there at the start, but then I remember uh-huh. that picture and that uh, that video, and I, you know. Uh, you know, as much as we don't like to condone people killing other people because of their ideas, no one. I'm not going to shed a tear over a communist getting stabbed by a um, nationalist. So that was that was <laughs> that was a really good one, Brad. Good job. Uh, do you want to do your power rankings before we finish up? Yeah, let's do this. Brad power ranking. Alright, so it's fitting that I'm following directly on from myself and there's nothing to break this up because my rankings this week are... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. Five best assassination weapons. No. That would have been a good one. It is top five people who I'd like to give the Otoya Yamaguchi treatment to. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. So, um... Starting at five, we're going to number one. Number one, obviously, being the person that I'd most like to do it to. Ah. But this is all fantasy, okay, people? So, you know, this does not constitute a legitimate threat, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what is it the the commies online say? They say, I'd like to kill that person in Minecraft or something like that. <laughs> so, that it's not a, so, these are the five people you'd like to kill in Minecraft. No, no, no I said give the Otoya Yamaguchi treatment to. Yeah. Like, you're not specific. Oh, these enough. are the yeah. five people you'd like to give the Otoya Yamaguchi treatment to in Minecraft. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Alright, so number five, Ilya Kovalchuk. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, I love ice hockey. I also support the New Jersey Devils. Ilya Kovalchuk joined the Devils, attempted to sign the largest contractor in history, got rejected, signed a new largest contract in NHL history, cost us millions in fines and a draft pick for circumventing the cap before fucking off with three, <laughs> fucking off to Russia and retiring from the NHL. If this cunt was dying of dehydration, I wouldn't piss in his mouth to help him. <laughs> Number four. I already love what Kovalchuk did to the Devils, but the fact that you get so salty about it just makes it even better. He destroyed our entire franchise for the next eight <laughs> years, and we're Excellent. still recovering. It's just fantastic. Uh, it upsets me so much. Number four. <laughs> Patton Oswald. <laughs> Gone are the glory days. The days when you were the wacky friend on King of Queens. Talk about coasting on a fucking roll. What a great show. You're painfully unfunny and consumed by your desire for social justice you're also the reason for my first and only twitter ban and don't think (laughs) i don't know you reported me for calling you a cunt you cunt (laughs) number three he uh he he uh let his he let his wife choke to death did you know that yes yeah Look, I was going to yeah. make a joke about his wife dying, but then I thought it maybe is a little far. I mean, I've I've skirted the edges recently, so I'm trying to <laughs> not push it too. Trying far. to keep it clean. <laughs> trying to keep it clean in this list of five people you want to stab in the ribs in the summer. I thought <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Number three, Jim Jeffries. Oh, fuck you! You're not funny. Your stupid oh. show was intellectually dishonest, and now you, you've had success in the US. Every foreigner I talk to thinks you're the living embodiment of Australia. If one more asshole tells me I must like Jim Jeffries because I'm Australian, I'm buying a katana and coming to your next show (laughs) in Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Not if she gets you first, Brad. (laughs) She's going to Yamaguchi you first. All right, rest in peace, Brad. One word, Benghazi. You know your time's coming, you (laughs) haggard old bitch. And number one, the CPC. We've been too hard on China here. 
Surely their culture's a bit backwards. The do, you mean, do you mean the CCP? Yeah, the Communist Party of China. CCP? No, the Chinese Communist Party. When I looked it up, because I thought it was CCP, it actually, on Google, has it listed as a CPC. So that's what I'm going with the official Wow, tip. you can't believe what you read on Google. What? Not in China. Brad, just do what Alex Jones does and call them the Chaicoms. Okay. <laughs> Number one, the Chaicoms. Good. <laughs> We've been too hard on China here. Sure, their culture's a bit backwards and they almost destroyed the world with a pandemic, but not all Chinese people are that. <laughs> On the other hand, I can guarantee that all Jaicoms are dog shit human beings. Nice. Worthy <laughs> of a helicopter ride. Sure, my arms might get tired cutting through the swathes of Jaicom officials, <laughs> but I believe in myself. And that's the real message here, folks. Never be afraid to go after your dreams. If you need to Otoya Yamaguchi a few million people to make the world a better place, just do it. I think I can speak for everyone here when I say that we at Brad is a Bad Person all believe in you and share full liabilities for anything I just said. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Who knows a lawyer? Uh, <laughs> Luckily, we've got one on retainer. That was fun. I don't, I, I do not condone the killing of non politicians, just, 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 just to be sure. <laughs> just to be safe. What about, what about journalists? Oh, God, luckily. Yeah, Kurt Metzinger, you just count yourself lucky you weren't on this fucking list. That's kind of shit list a mile long. <laughs> I'm surprised that woman from Woolies wasn't on it last week. <laughs> Daisy, you yeah, fucking that, bitch. That was the top five list of his list of 742 people. <laughs> yeah, like 742 pages. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised uh, you, you're going to go to Woolies with a katana next time. Like, hey, don't look at me like well, In Minecraft. In Minecraft. This has been fun. Uh, it's probably after that our last episode ever because uh, I think what Brad did was just then was an actual crime. <laughs> um, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, we do not condone murder of any kind to anyone regardless of ideology. No. Well, I don't anyway. Not really, no. no we, we've all had a good time here. And I can't speak for these animals. all share the liability of what I just said. And <laughs> Please do not listen to Brad. we're joking. It's all satire. Yes. In Minecraft. <laughs> L- listen to that part. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. We appreciate you listening. Uh, please continue to listen. And please share these episodes with your friends. That would be, that'd be a personal favour to me if you did that share this episode with one friend see you next week bye